1: For the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It is May 2nd, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. The 2021 NFL draft is complete, and although this always feels a little bit like Christmas to me, in the cold light of day, we are not sure what we have. By definition, we have controversy. Your Pittsburgh Steelers acquired nine new players. And while we have some shiny toys, there is some questionable selection and maybe even selection order. Nick, how do you characterize this draft? It's
0: the worst draft I've ever seen. And this is why the NFL teams are banging down my door to scout for them. But I won't do it because I'm a man of the people. I'm underground. I am punk rock. I am the Twitter scout. And this draft is bullcrap. The Steelers drafts are all bullcrap, and this one's the worst of all. God forbid they let Kevin Colbert make another decision. No, I'm half-joking. Okay, it's a really—half-joking. In- it's an interesting draft class. We all know what the big story is going in. Never has a first-round draft, draft pick been more linked to a single— t- We knew they were taking Najee Harris since the day the, after the Super Bowl, Right. So many links to Najee Harris for the Steelers. That brings up a massive conversation about running back value in the first round. You know, as we've always said, there, you know, it's drafting a running back in the top ten is kind of a you should never do that situation. Drafting a running back in the first round in general is tough because when you look at the study, you look at you could look at the last twenty straight even superstars basically the rule is if your name isn't adrian peterson you're underperforming your second contract or you're missing a lot of games or this or that so long story short if you're drafting in the first round you'd rather get a guy like a cam hayward or a marquise pouncey you know 10 plus year star on your team rather than a guy who's only going to maybe give you five good years we know the value is kind of inarguable there but there's different discussions that can be had along that the big thing is the Steelers need offensive line help. And they waited till the third round to get a potentially really solid offensive lineman. Um But I feel scatterbrained here because I've been talking about it all weekend. I couldn't save it for the podcast. Basically here's my overarching thought on the draft. All right. I think it's hard to argue against the fact that the Steelers got a lot of really good players who could end up being stars for the team. Okay, you can talk about when they were drafted, what round, so on and so forth, but they got good guys. There is no Artie Burns this year. There's no Terrell Edmonds. There's no reaching on a consensus you know, third-round player in the first round. They didn't do any of that. They did it a little bit in the, in the fourth round with louder Milk, but then they got a steal in the fifth round with the defensive end from Miami. So on one hand, they got a lot of really solid players. On the other hand, I think it the way I would categorize this draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers is arrogant because they are just assuming this offensive line that was terrible last year is just going to be better this year because they are going to have better coaching, better schematics. We'll get more into that later. And some of these players have gotten a little bit older, a little bit more seasoned, and they maybe philosophically philosophically are just going to have more of a dedication of the run. They think all of these things are going to help the offense. And don't worry about the line. Don't worry about Chooks and Banner. We're not going to take starting tackles when they were available to them in the first and second rounds. And I actually think that there's a lot correct about that assumption. I think the line will be better this year based on schematics and dedication to the run game and... Uh, learning from your mistakes from last year, and now of course having a star running back, but <laughs> that would still be true if you got a starting tackle <laughs> in the NFL draft. So I think it's just a little bit arrogant that they uh, that they're just going with Chooks and Banner, who are a you know unproven commodities who aren't high pedigree guys anyway. So that's what I think is so interesting about the draft. Um, even though the guy guys who I think could contribute, what did you? Uh, so I feel like. You can't grade this thing, but what I like is that they got guys who I think can contribute. Uh, a, a few of them who can contribute on day one. A few of them who could be superstars. They have the best running back in the last two drafts, and uh, they're just really rolling the dice on the on the line thing.
2: I agree,
1: they're rolling the dice on the line thing. What's interesting is this is the first time since 1984 that the Steelers first four picks were offensive players. And that was the year we got Louis Lips and Ouija Thompson.
0: Ouija Thompson, brilliant. I
1: think he has the third best name of all Steelers all, Steelers all time. Yeah, after so yeah, Wuma
0: and Chris Fumatu Afala, of course.
1: So it's almost ironic that uh, we got we did go for offensive players, but they waited a long time before they hit the O line. I I'm, I'm actually happy with uh with the center they got but when you look at the draftees there were guys that we talked about that were available uh landon dickerson tevin jenkins and i wonder do you think that they were just worried about the injury bug because we had talked about that and that that was uh mark against him
0: 100 percent. and by the way every single person the steelers drafted and all 10 of the free agents they signed afterwards every single player played in 2020 nobody opted out because of covid and nobody was injured so this is um, – I'm, I'm trying to find a way to wrap up overall thoughts, and then we can just go kind of hit quickly on each individual pick, and then in the subsequent episodes, we'll do deeper dives. I know we obviously already talked about Najee Harris a lot. We talked about Pat Fryermuth a little bit, but we can kind of go deeper on those guys going forward. But overall, that's a great point. You're saying like, oh, did you know, Dickerson's injuries worry them? Definitely. And here's the thing about the Steelers. Once again, every year, come back to this fact. They will tell you who they're going to draft. That's why, our, that's why uh, Terrell Edmonds was such a shock. But even then, when you look at it, oh, he's power five. Oh, he started this year. No injury. NFL bloodlines. Incredible testing numbers. They were at his pro day. We thought they were looking at someone else. So actually, he checks all the boxes. So for the Steelers, they'll tell you. Kevin Colbert said months ago, like, look, if we, have, and he said again last week, if there are two players who are generally evenly graded and one of them did not play in 2020, we're going to take the guy who did play. And you can say whatever you want with the morality of that. You know, are they are they not taking that guy because they don't think he's a football guy because he opted out? You know, I hope that wouldn't be the case because some of these guys had very legit members reasons for opting out. Like they had f- sick family members and we didn't know about what the deal was with COVID at that time. Um, so I, I hope that that wouldn't go against these type of guys. But I think for Colbert, it's more like, no, we're ju- we just want more film. These guys are young. We want more sure things. So, yeah, Dickerson was out because of that. The big shocker was Creed Drafting Pat Fryermuth over Creed Humphrey in the second round. And this is where I sort of freaked out and said, look, this is negligent. Some people are thinking they're overdrafting Fryermuth. I think you're being a little picky if you say that. But the, the deal is you had a day one starter at center and you just passed up on him. And then the third round came along. And I had to tag old takes exposed. On myself, Because when they got green out of Illinois, Kendrick Green, I realized this is a much better scheme fit. And that's not me just telling myself that's, you know, this guy's better. This guy is, what is your 97th percentile in athletic testing? Also has a huge mean streak, played every position on the line, but is really projected to be a center. And he's a movement center. He's very similar to a, a lighter version of Marquise Pouncey and Dermani Dawson, the Steelers love the pulling centers. And one of the big themes we got confirmed from this draft and from the interviews that Tomlin did over the past two weeks is the Steelers are gonna move potentially to a zone running scheme. And we know that because Tomlin said a number of times before the draft, look, the line was not good last year. The running backs were not good last year, but that's not the only reason for the lack of running success. The coaching staff is a big reason for that. And we need to make better schematics to put players in better uh, positions to succeed. And then he backed that up by drafting the type of guys that he did. You know, the tackle that they got from Texas A and M, also uh, Dan Moore Jr., also an athletic, moving type of guy. And the Green, when I actually look at value, you look at Kendrick Green. If you remember our center breakdowns, anybody out there listen to our breakdown of the center prospects, we said one thing for every single one of those guys, uh, they can't move. And we said that doesn't mean they're not good, there's a, couple plug- there's a bunch of plug-and-play starters, but none of them are the pulling type of centers that the Steelers love to have with Dawson, Pouncy, and that they're really going to want to have if they're actually moving towards this kind of horizontal offense. I actually think if you're not freaking out so badly about this year, and, and Green probably is going to start, but if you're not freaking out so badly, you look back after next year and you say, that was the better pick for their actual um, formula. So to me, I feel like uh, we'll talk about Kendrick Green later, but that that had to, that had made me pull out the old takes exposed card on myself because I said it was negligent to not get... Uh, um, a lineman instead of Pratt freer I still think they probably should have gone tackle in that spot and figured out the tight end thing after. But the Kendrick Green thing is actually like, oh, I don't think they were settling. I think they actually liked that guy more than Creed Humphrey.
1: Sports, culture, takes. TakeLine has it all. Take Line is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner Jason Concepcion and former WNBA champ, Renee Montgomery, that's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee talk about the games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday, wherever you get your pods.
0: Nothing smells better than a locker room. And when I'm talking about smell, I'm talking about smells of the mind, baby. I'm talking about intrigue. I'm talking about sports conversation. I'm talking about a live, audio-only sports talk platform that's free to download and easy to use. You can talk to us, you can talk to other fans, you can talk to athletes and insiders in real time on this new social media-ish network called Locker Room. It's the perfect place for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Basically, it's just a nice alternative to tw- uh, to Twitter. You can actually link it with your Twitter, um, which is cool, but... If you're like me, all you're using Twitter for is Steelers-related innuendos. And Locker Room is a cool, free, online-only social media platform for sports fans that does basically what I want all the other platforms to do. Just feed me that sports news. So go ahead, download the Locker Room app free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the league.
1: I'm not sure everybody is familiar with a measure we've come across because Mm. Steelers, as you mentioned, really emphasize athleticism and there is something called the relative athletic score. Let me just put this in perspective because, to to your point, Kendrick Green scored very high in this uh, category, 9.24. Let me tell you the top three or top four Steelers that had 10.0s. Rod Woodson, Woodson, Carnell Lake, Scott Shields, and Chuck Lanza from 1988. But Rod Woodson had a 10. And they measured in two components. One is size and one is uh, composite speed. It includes things like the 40 yard dash, 20 split, the shuttle, et cetera. So Ron Woodson was a 10. Kendrick Green is a 9.24. This guy is athletic, as is Dan Moore, offensive tackle, 8.97. I don't want get too deep in numbers, but that's a pretty high athletic score.
0: Yeah, the Steelers like athletes in general, especially in the first round. And these guys are third and fourth rounders, but. The Steelers love athletes, and like you said, they're emphasizing that on the line right now because this draft was dedicated to one thing and one thing only, and that was revamping the run game. And so once again, just remember this next year, guys. The Steelers will tell you who they're going to draft. When Art Rooney made the comments for like the fourth consecutive year, but in a more impassioned way, more passionate way about the need to improve the run game, They told you everything you need to know. All first four of their picks were not just offensive picks, but they're dedicated to running the ball. Because, obviously, Najee Harris, you know, ensures that you have one of the best backs in the league, probably day one. And not only just one of the best backs, but a... A More if there's a mold of Steelers running backs for height weight speed what they can do three down backs He is that mold. It's literally Le'Veon Bell again Fryermuth can use some work in the blocking department, but he's the guy who has the potential to become a monster blocker I actually think Fryermuth's potential He is a very Heath Miller Jason Witten type prospect the big knock on him is he can't put it all together all the time but and that he doesn't have, like, long speed, I don't care about that. The same thing I don't care about it with my running backs. I want the tight end to add to the run game and then to catch the ball on third and five when he gets hit by three people and get the first down, you know? And then we know the two offensive linemen after that. that that's what this draft was. One goal. Revamp the run game. Now, when I look at all the players they drafted, I don't know much about more. Dan Moore, the tackle from Texas, except the fact that he's very athletic and he's a little bit of a projection, and he's almost definitely not going to be a factor this year. But we'll look into him more uh, when we scout him out this in the coming weeks here. But all of these guys are run game first. Is this the first time the Steelers didn't draft a receiver? I mean, it's pretty crazy. So they worked on revamping it. I don't know how it's going to work this year, to be totally honest with you. But I do sort of have this vision of the Steelers, like what if they take a first-round tackle next year? Then everybody who's screaming about the world being on fire, you're looking at a potential star-studded offensive line at that point with one of the best running backs in the game, one of the best receiving cores in the game, and a defense that has some of the best talent in the game. Maybe it's not a one-year plan, you know? I think a lot of people are freaking out because they're either implying that the Steelers are absolute trash and Ben Roethlisberger is going to hold them back and they need need to forfeit this year and do a total rebuild and you need to start from the offensive line on up, or they're saying like, which that doesn't make any sense at all. They have way too many superstars. Unfortunately, where the Steelers are is semi-no-man's land. They're too good to tank and not quite good enough to just kind of be willy-nilly in the draft. But when I look at who they took... These seem like long-term contributors for a run game, not to mention all the guys here, incredibly durable. None of these, these guys barely miss time during uh, their college careers. So when I look at it like that, it seems like, man, those are really good schematic fits for the Steelers' run game. And if we can just take our mind off of the fact that they, they didn't concentrate on it at the time we wanted them to, then I think they might get a better grade for this draft.
1: So did you notice that these guys are upperclassmen? You know how the, it's known that the Steelers like to get yeah. underclassmen? I mean, these guys, if Junior is the youngest guy on this on this list, these guys are redshirt juniors, seniors, and redshirt, redshirt seniors. I bet, I'm sure that uh, the last year has had something to do with that. Um, none, none of these guys sat out. I mean, the Steelers wanted guys who played yeah. this last year. But um, – The other thing to your point about durability these guys all have played a ton of games there there is i don't think any of these guys like is a one played in the last year and the other thing that we have read is that adrian clem has adopted a new philosophy he wants physical and nasty i think dotson already fits that characterization banner as does Moore and and green self-professed so and i it's hard hard to believe that um (laughs) yeah banner so I think they're sort of recreating that that line not only schematically but attitudinally
0: attitudinally is a real thing I think you and I had this conversation yesterday we're not saying that them changing the attitude is going to make the players better like you do have what you have but you can get more out of a little like the Steelers team that beat the Seahawks that's not an all-star line they had two great linemen on that team and then a couple of decent guys but they knew what the plan was, and it was a different era of football, and they got away with it. And Jerome Bettis would run the ball for one yard and one touchdown a game. There was something to that. So, if you watch Kendrick Green's draft day call, like when he receives the call, you can see what guy they're trying, what type of guy they're trying to get, like. He freaks out. He takes off his glasses. He spikes them on the ground. His whole house is going crazy. It's awesome. These are some of the best videos ever when you see these guys get drafted. But he is flexing. He's I'm going to bust out of the shirt, baby. Spikes the glasses because he's a millionaire now. And then like uh, he is getting after it. And when you see him on the field, they already posted a bunch of his highlights, different people. He murders people, and he's one of those finishers. When you're on the ground, he's going to push you back down. There is clearly something the Steelers are trying to cultivate here. So if I were to just wrap up my overall draft thoughts again, I know this was sort of rambly stream of conscious just because there's so much to talk about, and I, I probably shouldn't have been talking about it all morning, to be honest with you, be a little more organized. But to wrap it up, I think... Number one, the Steelers had one goal for this draft, and it was we are going to revamp the run game. We know we're not going to get out of this draft filling all of our needs. It's just impossible. There aren't enough picks to get tackle, center, tight end, of which there's only one on the roster, cornerback, where James Pierre and his 23 snaps is going to be a starting cornerback now. You know, edge, there's no backup edge. We're not going to get out with comfortable solutions for every single one of those things, but they really did address all of them except for cornerback. Um. Okay, so that's the one goal. Revamp the run, run game. Number two, it was an arrogant draft. You know, it was a roll-the-dice draft. If I had my bones, I probably would say I would have preferred to take some sort of tackle in the second round instead of fryer Move and figured out the tight end somewhere else. But other than that, and then the trade-up for Loudermilk was, was pretty widely considered to be boneheaded. But other than that, I think that all the picks really fit. Um, just the arrogance is the fact that they, they're doubling down on this incumbent offensive line that not only did poorly last year, but is completely unproven and doesn't have much pedigree where you can just say, well, I think is going to take a big jump this year. It's like, well, do you? He's literally never played. He got in there, and he tore his ACL the instant he got in there. So that's a huge roll of the dice.
1: I'll say, I'll agree with you that the offensive line is unproven, but it's not last year's line. Look at it, No only... There's only one guy playing in his position from last year.
0: So, what do you mean by that? Is that a that sounds like a massive negative to me?
1: Uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> I think it's a negative and it's unproven because what? What do you have? Banner. Um, so Finney, presumably at center, unless Green can yeah, beat him another out. Another
0: guy who hasn't played in a year. You have two guys. Who so are he's injured fresh for the entirety of twenty of twenty twenty. Right, I like a and first center, a, and now they're starters. And by the way, they were never starters to begin with. These are like 6 round draft pick type of guys who missed a year because they couldn't stay on the field. I mean, it does not look good. I don't. I don't think any. I think this the line will be better than last year because you literally couldn't get worse. But there's just not a lot of reason for optimism that they're going to be able to do a lot. That's not me. I'm not one of those people who's totally trashing this draft. We do just have to be a little realistic. There's not much reason to have as much faith in this tackle group in particular that the Steelers display by taking Pat Fryermuth. Because if they took a great tackle or a decent tackle in the second round, I love the Najee pick in the first round. And then you could have taken Green in the third, and that I think everybody would have been screaming. Like, we'll figure out the tight end thing. Someone's going to come available. A lot of these teams are actually going to have to make cuts this week just to be able to sign their new rookie. So, like, there could be – Jesse James is still out there. I'd prefer taking Jesse James and a starting tackle or – a. Tackle because I would think a second round tackle could beat out banner or chooks right at this point Or have a good chance at it or at least make a deeper room. That's my only big problem is and it's not because I don't like Friar Muth. I actually do like him, and I like him as a fit for the Steelers as a multi-talented weapon. But it's just arrogant to assume that it's going to work out that great for you. Although, like I said, we'll see after t- next year's draft, you get a real stud lineman. You you might have rebuilt the line, and you just were more patient with it. And You said, hey, we can't get a guy like Friar Muth at this time, whatever. And then the last thing I'll say about it is that they got good talent. There was no... Artie Burns or Edmonds level reaches in the early rounds. That really only came when they eventually got the Isaiah Loudermilk uh, defensive end from Wisconsin who they're going to be c- converting to defensive tackle. But come on, man. That's a fifth-round pick. I'm not going to – there's people freaking out about that online. I'm not saying fifth-round picks don't matter, but I'm saying that's the time to experiment. There's a big experiment later in the draft that we probably have to dedicate an entire segment to. But, um, and when I say big – I mean, big, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So those are my three big themes. There was revamped the run game. It was an arrogant draft, and but at the end of the day, they got a lot of good talent. Bet online this week has tons of sports action as the MLB, NBA, and NHL are full swing. Get all the latest news. Get the odds. Get the info for all your sporting needs, including. All the leagues I just mentioned and more. Should we make a separate section for celebrity boxing? You probably should because it seems like it's overtaken regular boxing. Either way, you don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore because this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs and to, I don't know, the glory of preseason. I'll just take preseason at this point. Bet online. You are online sportsbook experts. Ching-ching.
1: You may have noticed that there are a couple of new sponsors that are apropos of my generation. And I am very excited to introduce you to our latest sponsor, Kansas City Steaks. You work hard and play hard, so treat yourself and stock up for the summer barbecues with Kansas City Steak Company. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get a 10% off your order and free shipping with the code S is in Sam, D is in Denmark at checkout. From classic steaks to USDA Prime to American-style Kobe. Hard to find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. That big green egg, baby. They make it so easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is flash-frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Imagine relaxing in your backyard with a family while enjoying a steakhouse-quality meal from Kansas City Steaks and an Iron City Light. In your left hand. Right. Try these butter tender filet mignon, Kansas City strips, juicy steak burgers, all beef jumbo hot dogs, and even complete meal combos. Bring the steakhouse to your house this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. Steaks.com, code SD. All right, Nick, let's do a cursory overview of the picks that we did get. We spent a ton of time on Najee, but I think it bears, uh, yeah. bears one more recap.
0: Yeah, because I'm more excited than ever, man. Look, I, I did end up rewatching him right before the draft. And this guy's, he's a guaranteed star. I mean, if he can stay healthy, the similarities to Le'Veon Bell are eerie, Now, I heard another podcast – I think it was uh, Steelers Depot doing like a roundtable before the draft where they had like 10 of their writers on there talking about players. It was great. I mean, they have so much research on all the different players that that people had a lot of cool insight on things. But it was hilarious hearing – uh, them talk about, like, Diamond and the Rough running backs or different running backs, and every single one of the writers compared every running back to a Steelers running back. Like, you do know there there are other running backs in the NFL you might want to get a hold of. Like, there's no way any of these people remind you of Jerome Bettis. There is no more fat, great running back. Najee Harris tried to do... Or Najee... Najee Davenport. No, Ellie Lacey tried to do it. it didn't happen. So, when I say... Najee Harris reminds me of Le'Veon Bell. I mean that in the most literal sense, where they have the identical height and weight. They have the identical ability to basically run exclusively through jump cuts. So there are so many clips at Alabama where he gets the ball and someone's right in his face already. I know that's your that should be everyone's first concern. With Alabama running backs, as they get the ball, and there's a five yards guaranteed for them already because they're a great offensive line. There were a number of times where you saw Mac Jones get a throw under pressure. There's a number of times where you got to see Najee Harris, Najee Harris run with people in his face, and he jump cuts so quickly. And then he, it seems like he never takes a step forward. He just does another jump cut diagonally to the right and jukes out a linebacker in a telephone booth. He makes so many people miss in a telephone booth. It's crazy. It reminds me so much of Le'Veon. He doesn't do the stop behind the line of scrimmage thing that Lev did. Like, nobody really does that. But otherwise, the running style is extremely similar. Also, when they finally do catch up to him, he will drag the people for four or five yards because he's a massive Adonis of a man who knows how to use his strength. Ton of clips. There's a bunch of clips of him against, is it an old Ohio State game or like an Oklahoma game where he legitimately drags four plus people. It's a pile of bodies that go an extra five to ten yards. So that's another huge thing for me. So if you want to say, he's not going to be able to run behind this offensive line. He... He did it at Alabama. And I'm not saying, obviously, Alabama doesn't have a crappy offensive line, but I had so many instances where you got to see, hey, what's going to happen to you when you get hit right in the backfield? Are you going to turn a two-yard loss into a one-yard gain? Are you going to turn a zero-yard gain into a four-yard gain? He has that ability just like Le'Veon had. Then the same thing, if he's on the, in the open field to the right or the left, you're, the first guy's not tackling him. He can juke you. He can run over you. He can stiff arm you, and then of course, famously, he can jump over you, which I feel like people forgot that was a Le'Veon Bell thing. Bell constantly jumped over people, So, and then also he's got a gigantic personality personality like Le'Veon had, so the similarities are, are pretty wild, and like I said, when they had Bell, granted it was behind an unbelievable offensive line, it was such a luxury, because that's a guy who's getting the ball 25 to 30 times a game, and now with all the new research behind running backs, like you don't care about running him into the ground. Remember, we were worried about it with Bell. We're like, you can't keep giving them these type of carries. And then he didn't accept a great contract offer that they gave him twice, and he was out of town anyways. But you don't have to worry about that. This is 25 chances where this guy can just bail you out. Whereas a James Conner, who we both really liked, he's gonna get yardage that is there. If he's gonna make a guy miss, The very next guy is going to catch him one yard later, you know, and and he's a good running back, but he's not just going to take the game into his hands over and over again. And that's what Najee Harris is. So I, I'm sorry. I really love the pick. I don't think there was a tackle there who warranted being angry about if Derisar were still there, who got picked one pick before. I think it would have been interesting. But overall, that's what you're getting with Najee Harris, who, by the way, I forgot the last thing. He catches downfield fades. He catches back shoulder high pointing catches like that's re- that is legitimately split out as a receiver type of thing. So the Steelers know how to use that guy and he's a stud and they're going to ride the living crap out of him. So it, it's pretty exciting. It's hard not to be excited about that shiny new toy, especially when he makes yards on his own. That's why I would not have been down for Etienne or frankly, really any of the other running backs.
1: Another reason you shouldn't put your kid into football and expect him to be in the NFL.
0: Yeah, he will j- because this guy will jump over your kid.
1: So, Friermuth, we talked a lot about him. Do you realize he had the tight tight end touchdown record at Penn State?
0: He had a lot of records. First sophomore captain in history of Penn State. He's basically like, I think of Friermuth as, okay, 6'5", 250, perfect body type, unbelievably smooth hands, uh, kind of like a why hasn't he lived up to the hype kind of guy. Well, if we're lucky, part of that is, because of the same reason Chase Claypool didn't live up to the height. The quarterbacks were horrific. He, we said this on our scouting report. He was great when they had McSorley there, and then the crap that rolled in after them, he just wasn't as big a part of a passing game. But from a potential, his size, and willingness to block, he needs to be more willing. Like, he could be Heath Miller. He just doesn't have a big, long speed, but he has such smooth hands plenty of clips of him catching touchdowns off the fingertips while boxing a guy out. And I just hope that when he gets in there, this Adrian Clem, I hope, just runs him into the ground and lets him realize like look, you were the big man on campus in Penn State for a while, but if you want to have an NFL career, you have to become a great blocker. You're not gonna be a great receiver. He has very good hands, but you just you Kyle Pitts is in the league now. Kelsey, you're not you can't run like those guys. But he could be a Dallas Clark Heath Miller type of guy with that size. He has flashes where he destroys people on blocks, but he's not as consistent. So that is one of the things where I'd bring back Adrian Clem trying to change the attitude of the offensive line. I hope they get him into training camp and make his life hell and make him come out as a better blocker. Because if he can do that, that is going to help your run game so tremendously. And we know how valuable it is to have the tight end who catches the ball even if he goes down right away. Just if you can make those tough catches across the middle when so many defenses have to worry about Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith Schuster, Eric Ebron, maybe he'll be gone in a year, uh, Deontay Johnson. There's so many weapons he could play that Jesse James role, who was actually very good for the Steelers, but with more talent. So I like it. And then just to address the overdrafting thing, some people say they have a fourth round grade on him. Look, Tommy Tremble rose a lot in the end of the draft pra- process. But he is the consensus number two tight end, Friar Muth. Like, uh, drafting him at the, in, in the end of the second round, how is that not good value for a tight end who maybe hasn't lived up to that potential but definitely has that type of potential? Oh, it would have been great if they drafted him 10, 12 picks later. Like, okay, you're splitting hairs a little bit to me. My only issue is that they could have gone tackle here. But otherwise, it's a great fit.
1: Do you compared him to Heath. How do you think he compares to Vance if he materializes?
0: Vance had, murders people. He needs to get what Vance had in terms of the aggression and the blocking. And Vance had better long speed than him. Now he has way better hands than Vance. Vance was very inconsistent there, but Vance was on the field to put people into graves. I don't think he's going to get that, but he he has the physicality where the potential is there.
1: So we spent a lot of time on Kendrick Green, but he spent a lot of time at guard. I mean, he is uh, – I don't think there's a lot of uh, – people are too concerned about him moving to center. But most of his time, was spent at guard. very athletic, 6'3", 300 pounds.
0: He's Marquise Pouncey again. I mean, they even have, like, a, a similar look. Like, Marquise is, a, like, a cool-looking dude. Maybe he's got to get tatted up, Kendrick. But um... – they have similar personalities and they have similar play styles. Highly athletic centers who can move around, who are very intense. They're alpha males. People flock to them. They want to kill people on the field. And he's not – what did you say his weight was? It was, It's 300 pounds. So he's small. He's a little small. Pouncey wasn't small, but he's not a giant guy, right? So they really did find somebody who has a crazy amount in common. I mean all three of these guys. And because f- Fryermuth, team captain, you know he's more like uh, outspoken than Heath was, but very cool guy, liked by the media, liked by his teammates. The Bell comparisons to Najee with their personality and their play style—it's kind of eerie. They have a type of guy that like the Steelers do, and Kendrick Green is that kind of guy. Now you're right. He hasn't played a, a ton of center, but he projects very favorably as a center. He played well when he was there. I'm not worried about that transition really at all. What I am worried about is that transition to be a starter as a rookie in a few months. So that is the worry for him. I don't think long-term it's a big deal, but that's a big place to step into, especially when you don't have Ramon Foster next to you. Thank God there's David DeCastro, but other than that, it's a bunch of young guys out there. I mean, Ben will help, of course, and maybe Ben takes a bigger role in that type of uh, just – I don't want to say game manager, but but it's not always a negative connotation. Maybe he's got to help bring him along that way.
1: Dan Moore Jr., offensive tackle from Texas A&M. He's a senior, 6'6", three oh nine. It's been descri- He's actually very athletic, but he is described as needing a little sand in the pants. He's a little light, tall drink of water.
0: Yeah, and Chooks was a little bit like this, although Chooks was a you know more favorable projection. But once again, we're projecting on an ath- athletic. Right tackle or left tackle, potentially, but let's see how Adrian Clem does. We have nothing, we have no idea how this is going to work out to me, but he does work out in the body type uh, that the Steelers are looking for and the skill set that they're looking for. But it should be interesting. Uh, the only thing is, it's just a bummer that they got a tackle who's probably not really going to compete this year.
1: And then Buddy Johnson, linebacker from Texas AM 6'2, 228. Another Another really highly rated uh, relative athletic score of 9.22.
0: So I think John Ledyard on Twitter put out Steelers just drafted a guy named Buddy. He wears number one, and he wears the cowboy collar neck brace for Texas A&M. He's already a fan favorite for me just because of that. Uh, this sort of reminds me a little bit of Ulysses Gilbert. Like they are really trying to take, they have a type of linebacker that they want now. They want to find these fast guys. Um, and again, it's another projection so that in- it doesn't make me feel great about the inside linebacker room. Cause uh, you just kind of got a lot of those guys at the bottom of the roster, but I already felt good about the inside linebacker room because I think you got three starters already. So We'll see what happens. I don't, I don't you know, it's uh, hard to get much of a judgment on that one at this point.
1: All right, so here is where the Steelers made a sacrifice, and this is one of the more controversial choices of the draft, and that is Isaiah Loudermilk, defensive tackle out of Wisconsin, 6'7", 296. His Can I just put this in perspective? I know that that the relative athletic score, I don't want to get too carried away with it, but we've been talking about guys in the nines. He's a 3.63. 0.0.
0: Now, does that compare him to other defensive ends, right? So that's why I think it's extra bad, but they're going to play him at defensive tackle, which people think he should have played at in college. I'm surprised. Once again, massive projection. Literally changing the guy's position. So... Two ninety six six seven. The Steelers love those tall, fatties, big boys. But six seven two ninety three hundred. That doesn't seem that thick, right? You know, that's but not fat. It. it this one raises so many question marks for me. Such a projection to trade up for this guy, who does who's playing a new position, doesn't totally fit the build that they like there. Although, I mean, you know, Toit and, and, and Hayward are big boys. I guess defensive ends technically, but 3-4, you know? So this one is the, the big head scratcher, and we'll have to see how this one goes.
1: So in the sixth round, I guess this is the interesting pick. This may be the one where we underdrafted. Quincy Rochet, edge out of Miami, six-three-two forty-three. 243.
0: I think when we talked about Tommy Trimble, the tight end for Notre Dame, we talked about how sometimes you get lucky when there's a really good position group at a school because Tommy Tremble was playing behind two great tight ends. Doesn't mean he wasn't that great. That's sort of what Quincy Roche had here. He was a defensive end at Miami, and obviously Gregory Rousseau. And I don't know why I always friggin' blank on this guy's name, but he was drafted at number 18, the starting end, like the monster edge rusher from Miami who got drafted to the Dolphins. Jalen Phillips is the stud edge rusher that they had. So they kind of had, had two first-round guys on the edges. So I think Quincy Roche kind of fell by the wayside. He was getting some major hype in the draft community at one point during the lead-up there. But I think between his those two first-round guys kind of outshining him and the fact that he transferred from Temple in 2019 where he was the ACC Player of the Year, I think that's what kind of caused this guy to go under the radar. We've seen the Steelers make some good mid-round picks. Now, this is a late-round pick, six-round. But Steelers have gotten the best out of guys from, like, small schools, whether it's Highsmith, Hargrave, Dachshund, Dotson. Like, the, that's kind of the reason why you get some real studs. Uh, maybe they went to a, a really small school and people don't want to ch- take the chance. Or maybe they were on a loaded roster where other people were taking the attention away. So I haven't watched much of him, just some cut-ups that people have posted after we drafted him, after the Steelers drafted him, excuse me. I didn't really have any hand in it, um, but that one's really exciting. That, and, and I saw someone tweet online, "Hey, if you switch the Loudermilk pick with the Quincy Rochet pick, you'd actually might feel way better about the draft." So there you go.
1: And in the seventh round, we get two picks: Trey Norwood, cornerback out of Oklahoma, six foot one
0: ninety-two. You had no idea what to expect. I do not know this guy. All I know is it's the Steelers drafting a cornerback in the late round, so he's not going to make the team. No, we're going to have to watch him. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma. Whew. Defensive player from Oklahoma. I don't think the Steelers have done that ever. Six, one, six foot 192. Big guy. I just, yep, I never have high hopes for late corners, but in total honesty, we got to watch him.
1: Look, man, he played 30, 39 career games at Oklahoma. He had four interceptions in 2020, sat out with an ACL in 2019. So, yeah, total question mark. and Maybe it had something to do with the injury. And now. Da-da-dun, 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 da, da-da-dun. The shiniest of the shiny toys of the Steelers 2021 draft. Yes. Presley Harvin the third. Punter from Georgia Tech. You heard him highlighted here last week on the Steelers Outpost podcast. He is four foot 263 pounds. No, he's 5'11", 263 pounds.
0: Uh, and and on, 263, they said? Yeah. Yeah. I, this was the happiest phone call I got to make. I called you in a panic. We were both, you know, out handling business watching the draft on our phones, torturing the people around us. And I got to call you and tell you we got him. We got the fat punter. And I I can't express how thrilled I am that the Steelers have got this man. Imagine if this works. Because first off, he was a monster in college. This is a very good punter. You don't just draft him because he's a chunkster. And by the way, he doesn't even look that fat. He just kind of looks like a really big guy. It looks hilarious. No, no, Here's an angle where he looks a little fat. But... He's just a big man. He squatted like 400 pounds. There's videos of that going on with him. He threw a beautiful touchdown pass. He can do everything. Sometimes you find those big guys in like intramural college sports. You're like, you're 300 pounds, like, but you're coordinated. What's going on? You, you should play defensive line or something like that. This is so exciting. And by the way, I have zero problem with them going punter in the seventh round i love it they've had a problem at punter for years i mean barry had a nice little revenge tour last year but if this guy works out the steelers could solve a two decade long punting problem last guy they drafted a punter daniel Sepulveda, was an absolute killer and i don't know if it was injuries or what the heck happened to him but he had like one rookie year he was great and then never seen him again so i love using a seventh round pick on on a on a punter at this point I think that and it's going to be more value than a seventh round, or what are the chances of these guys even making the team? Oh, this guy could be a good punter for y'all. Makes sense.
1: He's still hanging out there. It was our second seventh round pick, and don't you think that this really does support the theory that we're going we're going to buttress the run game because there is going to yes. be some frustration yep. at least initially in and early in the game where you've got to flip the
0: field completely. It, absolutely, they go hand in hand. And uh, you know the Steelers have a couple good gunners, so that that's huge. That that's not just coach speak. If you have a punter who can fl- flip the field, somebody who can get you out of trouble when you're backed up in your own end, it's going to go a long way. Because whenever the Steelers, you know, for years it's been, hey, if the other punter pins the Steelers in the 10 yard line and they go, and the Steelers go three and out, that it's points guaranteed on the next drive because Barry barely gets the ball past the 50 yard line there. And then, you know, maybe that's partially Steeler's strategy. Oh, we just want to punt it high and and tackle him. Doesn't ever seem to work out that way. But if you get the big boy rifling it down to their 40-yard line or something like that and you could tackle him, then you got something going on. And this is just going to – this is fun, you guys. The draft season, it broke me a little bit as a football fan. I think I'm actually considering taking a little break off of Twitter after we do some of these breakdowns just because – the mom's basement vibes, the, ang- the Columbine anger I see from these draft analysis is pathetic. It's so negative and ridiculous. And the people are saying the Steelers are dumb for taking Najee I just, I want to see the receipts when, he jumped, when he's jumping over people, right? Am I saying it's the best value pick or anything like that? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, it's hard to argue that. But you can't say empirically that it's dumb. It's a bad decision. There's so many ways I could talk you out of that point easily, right? What about the fact that, oh, they gave Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott big money, and he's not the guy that he was before. He's like, okay, well, guess what? He's actually still good. And if the rest of their team hadn't collapsed – yeah, maybe you'd be overpaying your running back at this point a little bit, but you have a really good running back still in his sixth year or whatever it is. I mean, I could go on and on towards what this is, but uh, it would make it so easy. Let me just get out of the negative thing. To root for this giant punter every week. You, you get so angry when you punt. You might go get a beer when they punt. Not anymore because we have maybe our new Chidi Awuma in terms of our favorite special teams role player. And, uh, yeah, very exciting because if you can get that punter position going, seems like Boswell's back to form. Ray-Ray McLeod can do what he did early last season. You have superstars on all sides of the box. This guy's a superstar.
1: Can't you wait to see him, A, on a fake punt, B, on oh, a yeah? fake field goal, and just getting down to take the snap on an extra point. Is, I'm just looking forward to that. Don't Look, the Steelers did. also <laughs> – <laughs> Ben's going to have to go out and hold. The Steelers have officially announced they have signed eight unrestricted uh, free agents or undrafted, sorry, undrafted free agents. We'll talk a little bit about them next week because there are a couple interesting stories. What is interesting is this is where they went in for two cornerbacks, two safeties, a linebacker, and they're your 2 your wide receivers. So next week, we'll dive into that a little bit more and get some more information about what we just saw. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.
0: Okay, bye-bye.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Reddick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.